We're continuing in our sinking series, which, boy, doesn't that fit what God is doing this morning? Some of us probably feel that sinking feeling. And I just want to reiterate, if you're there this morning, and maybe, again, halfway through the sermon, you're finally done with whatever God is wrestling with you about, and you just want to come up and kneel at the altar, I promise you, if kids running around screaming their heads off don't distract me, that won't distract me either. (laughs) So please feel free to come up, sit on the front pew, just kneel, whatever you need, wherever you're at, just please know that's always available to you. Well, we've been talking a lot about fear in this series. How many of you would say you are fearless? You are a fearless individual. No fearless people here, huh? Okay. Doug says, okay, come on. Doug, you're fearless. Come on up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) See how fearless you are. Uh, I think Peter, if he was sitting here, especially early in his life, his hand would have shot up right there. Like, I am fearless because I am Peter. But as I read the account of Peter walking on the water... I definitely see the likelihood, like we talked of last week, that fear of inadequacy, that fear of feeling like he just wasn't enough. But I also see another fear, which I think there's a high likelihood Peter experienced that morning on the water, and it's the sinking fear of losing control, that fear like Everything is out of control. Let's read the the account of Peter walking on the water again and see what happens when Peter feels that fear of losing control. Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 to 31. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if you want to follow on your own device, you can do that, um, or you can just follow along on the screen here with us as well. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Yeah, that's what I want. Okay, so if you notice verse 30, if we rewind just uh, two verses there, verse 30 says, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Everything was going well until... Peter saw the strong wind and the waves. It wasn't until he noticed the environment he was in that he began to struggle. Because he had enough faith to get out of the boat. He had enough faith to take a few steps. We don't know how many, but we know he had enough faith to actually walk on water. 
and it's when he sees the wind and the waves that everything goes downhill. See, Peter realized he was in an environment that he had no control over his surroundings. He saw the wind, he saw the waves, and he knew he didn't have control over them, and he began to panic. One of the things I love about the Chosen series, you hear me talk about it a lot, so you better watch it. Uh, One of the things I love about the series is how they depict Peter's need for control. If you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a great, the way that they depict his, his need for everywhere Jesus goes, Peter's got to be in control of everything and trying to think through all the scenarios and, and, and keep Jesus safe. And he's just, he's, you can tell Peter is an anxious person. He's got it, he has this need for control. He's obsessed with control, which if you don't know, is always derived from fear. That's where an obsessive need for control comes from. It comes from fear. That stormy morning, Peter found himself walking on the water, surrounded by circumstances he didn't have any control over, or at least not yet. See, if you believe Jesus when he says in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This goes along right with that song we were singing at the end there, Speak the Name of Jesus. Why? Because there's power in that name. See, if you really believe what Jesus says here, then this story could have gone very different. Peter could have walked out, stepped onto the waves, saw the wind in the waves, got a little bit afraid and said, stop. And they could have stopped, just like Jesus does himself. He calms the wind, he calms the waves, and then he tells us we can do even greater things than what Jesus does. So, depending on how you read that scripture, this story could have gone very different for Peter, but we know how it goes for him. Suffice to say, at least from Peter's perspective in this moment, his situation was out of control. He was in the middle of a place where he was very familiar with being on the water. He was very familiar with wind and waves and storms, and he knew to be out of the boat in a storm like that meant almost certain death. And so he was in a situation where things were out of control. Has anyone else felt like their life has been a little out of control these last two years? Everyone's felt perfectly in control. Everything's, you know, normal, nothing out of the ordinary. I know I certainly have. I have felt like things are out of control. This last year, we endured a virus that some were saying is going to kill everyone. Everyone's going to die. Watching our whole world shut down for two weeks, then 30 days, And now it's been a year and a half, and still things aren't back to normal. But then there was hope. A vaccine was coming. And at first the narrative was, you're crazy if you get this thing because it's going to be right. It's being rushed, and the corners are being cut. Then sometime around January 20th, magically, the narrative changed to, if you don't get it, you're evil. We endured the most politicized election ever, which didn't seem to end for months, No matter who you voted for, you were told if the other side wins, the world is going to end as we know it. If they win, it's all over. Yet the world is still here, strangely enough. But if you watch the news, it's still going to end. The world's still going to end. Don't worry. It's still going to end. Everything's terrible. Some of us already have anxiety about 2024 and the circus that will be. Thinking if our side doesn't win... 
then the world's going to end. Because there's still a little bit of hope that our side could win in 2024, and then we can have hope. And why do we feel this way? Well, one good reason is because the media pushes fear as its main goal. Why? Because if they can get you afraid enough, you'll keep coming back day after day after day to find out how close we are to the world ending. If you think about it, if you've not realized this, that's a lot of what the media does. Our world is broken and out of control. There's no denying that. We live in a broken world, and things are out of control. How broken? How out of control is our world? Well, I was actually told to Google something this week by somebody uh, to see just how messed up of a situation we're in. And so I did. Uh, I trusted this person enough to Google it. I figured I'd, I would be interested in the results. So I was encouraged to Google, can men have babies? Which you think, that's not really necessary to Google. How to fix my alternator in my car? That's something worth Googling. Can men have babies? Now, anybody with a fifth grade or higher education probably can answer that question for you in, in a suffice and correct manner but not Google. The top answer, if you Google this, when you go home, some of you are already starting with your phone, the top answer in bold says, yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children of their own. This is Google. Supposed to be endless amounts of knowledge on the internet. Now, I remember watching a movie that came out back in 1994 called Junior guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant and has a baby. And at 10 years old, I knew this is ridiculous. Spoof, because this is impossible. But that's the world we live in. That's what the media, that's what our world tells us. We also have people, and by people I mean, yes, there's actually more than one person, who will lose their mind if you refer to a girl as her and a boy as him. I don't know if you know that. There are certain people, you can't use those anymore. Actually, certain words in this last year, year and a half, have actually become racist, sexist, xenophobic, evil, or all of those combined, which I didn't even know could happen for a word. I didn't know words could be racist, but apparently they are. You might be afraid of the virus and what it can do to you or your loved ones. You might not be afraid of COVID at all. But what you're afraid of is that the government is going to impose mandates and they're going to strip you of all your freedoms. You might have watched the president recently say there will be a vaccine mandate and you thought, that's it. The world is finally ending. Here it is. This is, the, this is what the media was talking about. They were so right. The world's ending. Some of you might be wondering, why am I struggling with fear so much? Why do I have so much anxiety? Why have I had panic attacks? Why am I depressed? You know, if I were to ask you, you know that God has things under control, but you're still struggling with fear, anxiety. Maybe because we spend hours reading articles, scrolling Facebook, watching the news, and maybe 15 minutes with God. Maybe we give Him 15 if, if we can. I mean, that's a lot of time. This fear of losing control, it's not what God wants for us. 
He's not sitting up in heaven and saying, yes, be afraid. Be very afraid of the world you live in. Be very afraid of Satan because he's going to ruin you. God actually tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Very clear. We're to give our worries and cares to God. Now, pro tip on this verse, if you want to tip from a semi-professional. If you actually spend time with God, it's a lot easier to give Him your worries. It's kind of hard to mail Him your worries. We actually have to spend time with Him. And that doesn't mean just like throwing out something on your drive to work or, you know, giving Him the scraps and, and, and whatnot of your time. It means actually investing and spending time with Him. I was reading a book recently, and it suggested an interesting technique, which you may have heard before. You take the things which are giving you anxiety, the things which are creating fear in you, the things that are really getting you down, making you feel like life is out of control. You write those things down, and you put them in a box, and you can name the, the box God and, and you know, things you're given to God, however you want to name that box, and you put them in there. And you offer them through prayer to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you with these things. I'm giving these to you. Obviously, uh, these are out of control for me, so I'm going to give them to you. And if you want to worry about them, if you want to be anxious about them, what you do is you have to go back to the box, pull that thing out that you want to start worrying about, and say, God, I don't trust you with this. I'm going to take this back, and I'm going to be anxious about it now for a little bit. Seems like a pretty silly idea, right? But that's exactly what we're doing when we decide to be anxious about something, when, when something is consuming us, is we're saying, Lord, I don't trust you with this, so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to have this argument with my coworker 30 times in my own head because I just don't trust you with this. I'm going to sit here and worry about what's happening uh, to my kids or you know, this, that, or the other things. Personally, if you want to know something I've had to struggle with recently, I've begun to grow very anxious about the world that my children are going to grow up in. Killian's getting ready to go to kindergarten next year, and I'm thinking, God, what do I do here? This whole world's a mess. Do I put him in public school? Do I try to homeschool him? Do we send him to the Christian school? What do we do here? This, you know, we're getting these checks from the government. I mean, we're so much in debt, we're hitting the limit already. What kind of world is my son and my daughter going to grow up in? What have we done? Why do we, should we bring more kids into this world? This thing is broken. What am I supposed to do here, God? If you want a little look into the anxiety I have, reality is I can't control the way the world is going. I can do my part to hopefully make it a better world, but I can't control the world and, and the world they'll grow up in, the economy they'll grow up in, the culture they'll grow up in. And so I just, I'm just going to share with you a little bit of what God has been working on me with, and maybe if you can glean some uh, life tips from this, then praise the Lord. Um, these are the things that have really helped me. And if you know me, you know I'm not all for little like one-step processes or anything or uh, four-step processes, but 
I'm going to encourage you to, if you, don't, if you can't remember a lot of things, to try to remember these four steps. If you find yourself in a place where you feel like anxiety has got you, where you feel like everything is out of control and you're in that panic mode, and, or maybe this has just become life for you, feeling like, because if you're like me, you try to research things, you try to get information about things, um, which if you've tried to do that about anything COVID-related, you find this is a complete nightmare because you can't seem to get straight information about anything. I mean, you, you tell me that COVID will help you grow horns. I will find you an article that backs that up, scientifically backed up. I mean, that's how crazy the world is that we live in right now. That's my frustration. I want more. I want good, solid information. I can't find it. And so when I get anxious, when I'm feeling that anxiety, these are the four things that I keep coming back to. Remember, rejoice, refocus, and repeat. These are the four things I want you to focus on this morning to remember. Uh, First one is remember. Remember what? Thankfully, it's not something my wife told me a week ago because I'm not going to remember that. Uh, What we're supposed to remember, that was supposed to be funny, but nobody nobody thinks it's funny. Uh, What we're supposed to remember is who God is and what he's done. That's the first part of when you're out of control. See, if Peter like, could just have paused life for a moment on the water that day, if he could have just paused it and said, okay, first, who is God and what has, what has he done? What have I seen him do? Psalm 143 verses 1 to 6 says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Now, this might be you. If you're somebody who's struggling Imagine this is you writing this, this psalm, this song. Don't put your servant on trial, for, for no one is innocent before you. My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Maybe this is you this morning. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works And think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for rain. And this is a pretty good depiction of exactly what needs to happen. When we find ourselves in that place paralyzed with fear, paralyzed by the things surrounding us and the things that are beating down on us and the things which seek to take us out, when we feel like we're on the water and we're starting to sink because everything's out of control, David says, I remember. I remember who you are and what you've done. That's what David does. And if we know David was known as a man after God's own heart, David messes up pretty bad, but he also serves God in a powerful way, in some powerful ways. You can actually hear his attitude change as as he writes Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. And heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. See, this is pretty cool to me because one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do, and 
one of the things, if you've ever heard me preach on or talk about Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, uh, I encourage you, when you're in that moment of fear, when you're in that place of darkness, to sit down and actually begin to write out the things that God has done. Begin to write out the awesome things, the awesome ways that God has shown himself to be God. And when I look at Psalm 103, it's exactly what it seems like David is doing. It seems like at the beginning, he's like trying to force his way into praise, and he just begins to list out the things that God has done for him. He forgives my sins. He does all this stuff. He begins to list the ways that God has shown himself to be God. And I believe when you look at Jesus' model of prayer, he makes it very clear that's what we're supposed to do. When we actually, in his model of prayer, when we get to asking about things, we've already spent time thanking him for being our father. We, we focused on the relationship that he has. And we focus on the, his, his godness. We focus on worshiping him for how big and how awesome he is. And then in Jesus' model of prayer, he walks us into this uh, leadership. And, and we're focused on him. It's, it's about your kingdom coming on this earth uh, as it is in heaven. Uh, and we focus on all this stuff. And then we finally get to ask asking about things and it's like now that i remember how big you are how much you love me what an awesome god it is i serve man i i can't tell you how many times i've followed that model of prayer and gotten to that point and been like man i came into this feeling like the weight of the world was on my shoulders like everything was falling apart and by the time i get to uh that place of asking him for something it's like you know what you've got this you know, I'll, I'll mention it just for the sake of mentioning it, but these are the things I came with, and they seemed really big when I started, but now they seem so tiny and small next to your awesomeness. That's what remembering is about. It's about sitting down. It's not even necessarily just specifically big, flashy ways that God has shown up, but maybe just sitting down and saying, you saved me from the pit of hell. You died on the cross. You rose again to show that you are supreme over death itself. Just beginning to remember both who God is and what he's done. If you're in that place this morning or you find yourself in that place, or maybe this is a tendency for you, maybe you're one of those anxious people and your brain is just really good at focusing on the what ifs. And God is saying, you know what? <clears throat> Sit down, begin to write out remember who I am and what I've done. Maybe even make two columns on a piece of paper, who God is and what he's done. And then you just try to list everything that you can think of and watch as whatever it is that's seeking to knock you out becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. See, if Peter could have just focused on Jesus that morning on the water, those waves, they wouldn't have shrunk but man, it would have seemed a lot smaller and a lot less potent. That wind, as strong as it might have been, he just watched Jesus feed like 8,000 people with barely enough food to feed one person. And the wind would have had nothing on Jesus if he just had remembered. See, the enemy, he wants us to focus 
on our current circumstances. He wants our eyes on the things which seem out of control, the things which are feeding our fears. You wonder why it's so easy to find all these articles about how our world has fallen apart and how it's going to end tomorrow. You wonder why it's so easy. (laughs) The enemy makes it very accessible. He wants to remind you everything's out of control. There's a reason to panic. Everything's going terribly. Nothing's going the way it should. Everything's broken. Because he wants our eyes on the things which feed our fears. And God wants us to remember who he is and what he's done. Remembering should automatically lead us to rejoicing. If you spend time sitting down and and seeking to authentically remember who God is and what He's done, it will lead you to rejoicing. Philippians 4.4 makes it very clear. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. How many of you, when you're in the midst of a panic attack, this is the verse you want somebody to say to you? Probably not. It's not what you want to hear. Because the reality is, this is a whole lot easier to say than it is to do especially when you're in one of those moments where everything seems out of control. I mean, I can just imagine one of the other disciples yelling at Peter, hey, uh, just be full of joy, Peter. Just be full of joy back there. Out on the water. Very easy to say. Much harder to do. So how do we do it? How do we rejoice always and be full of joy? Well, move on a couple verses. Verses 6 to 7 says, don't worry about anything. Again, very easy to say. Instead, pray about everything. Okay, we can actually do that. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. See, the way I memorized this verse was, uh, in thanksgiving, make your request made known to God. And it's that style of, of praying to God that changed my life because I lived some of you know a little bit of my story I lived in an out of control family and environment everything seemed out of control and when I learned to make my requests first through thanksgiving man it changes everything see it's about remembering who God is what he's done and thanking him for all he's done Maybe after we remember who God is and what He's done, we should take some time to write down all of that stuff, just like the psalmist did. Just begin to list out those things. Or maybe you're not a writer. Maybe that doesn't do it for you. I encourage you to try it anyhow and see what it does for your spirit, see what it does for you and your relationship with God, even if you're not a writer, because you never know what God could do. But maybe God's calling you to worship. Just turn on some music and begin to worship him for who he is and all he's done. Maybe God's saying, you know what? Don't turn on some music. Write your own song. I want you to sing a new song to me, one that's not on paper. You might not be an artist. Your song might stink. That's okay. God loves it. He's calling you to write a poem, write a song, do something. Do it. No one else has to ever hear it except you and Jesus. That's what he's calling you to do. Then write him a new song about who he is, what he's done, and how awesome he's been in your life. It's exactly what some of us need to do. We need to stop whatever we're doing, be less concerned that life is passing us by and that all this stuff needs done, and just say, you know what? In this moment, I just need to worship. 
I need to put everything off, and I'm going to worship right here, right now. Many of you know the anxiety has a tendency to come back anyhow. So how do we keep it from closing in on us again? Well, continuing on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, it's about refocusing. Focusing on these things that verse 8 talks about. Remembering should lead us and will lead us to rejoicing, which should lead us to refocusing. As you write down, as you remember, as you rejoice and celebrate God, it's pretty hard to do without focusing on Him and putting our eyes back on Jesus as we worship, as we celebrate, as we rejoice. Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Man, this is what it's about. It's keeping our eyes on Jesus. See, if Peter that morning had been so enamored with Jesus, so focused, having that holy tunnel vision on Jesus... He never would have saw the wind, and he never would have saw the waves. They would have been irrelevant. As if Jesus took that primary spot in his focus, and he kept it there. And I believe even as, Jesus, even as Peter began to sink, if he would have just looked back at Jesus and said, I know who you are, you are God, you are awesome, you are good, you got this, I think he could have been done with the sinking part. Jesus himself states this idea of refocusing in another way. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries at a single moment to your life. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? This sounds a lot like what Jesus asked Peter. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, 
and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Right in here. I mean, I feel like I don't even need to preach. I just need to read scripture. Jesus, just focus on the kingdom of God. Focus solely on the kingdom of God as the greatest priority. Some of us wonder, why do I struggle so much? It's because Jesus' kingdom is somewhere down our priority list. Our kingdom, all of our worries, all of all the things that we have for us, our plans, our dreams, our future, all this stuff comes before. And then the kingdom of God, it's there, it's a priority. It's just not one. It's three or seven or 15 on our list. And then we wonder why we struggle so much, why everything seems so difficult. Don't focus on the worries of this world, Jesus is saying. Focus on my kingdom. Refocus. Most of us, we need to refocus because we focused a lot on this world and how bad things are and how messed up everything is and, and how nothing seems to add up and, and what's going to happen to our rights and, and I live in America and all these different things we focused on. We focused on our kingdom or America's kingdom or whatever else. And God's kingdom needs to get back on the throne for you. It needs to become number one again. Because here's the reality. In 2020 and 2021, did God's kingdom get lesser? Did his kingdom suffer because of anything that happened in this world? No. So if that was our main priority, our main focus, hope would never have been hit in our life. So the last step in my not-so-perfect four-step plan is repeat as many times as necessary and as often as you feel like life is just out of control. Repeat again and again and again and again. If you go through this process and an hour later you're sitting there thinking, I'm about to have another panic attack. All right, remember, okay, who, who is God? What has he done? Rejoice. All right, God, you know what? Here's my one worship song. If you need a good worship song, might I suggest I Thank God by Maverick City Music? It's a real, man, try to be depressed while you listen to that song. I love it. Awesome song. Rejoice. Refocus. Okay, God, how have I gotten my eyes off of you? What have my eyes been on? Well, my eyes have been on COVID. My eyes have been on my family. My eyes have been on my finance, my financial situation, my debt. My eyes have been on whatever else it is, and say, all right, Lord, I'm focusing my eyes back on you. It's you that's important. It's your kingdom that's important. And repeat, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. When in the wind and the waves, when they have you sinking like Peter, because it seems like everything is out of control. I mean, if you can live in this world and not realize that everything is out of control, man, Either your eyes are so focused on Jesus or you are oblivious to what is going on around us because things are out of control. And that's what I told you at the beginning of this. What I don't want to do is minimize the things which are creating the fear. That doesn't do anybody any good. To sit here and act like COVID's not real is, is ridiculous. To sit here and, and act like your financial debt is, is of no consequence is, is ridiculous. The... the 
to sit here and try to minimize anything that's causing the fear. It doesn't do anybody any good. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't seek to minimize the things which cause us fear, which cause us anxiety, which seek to take us away from him. He simply seeks to put our eyes on him. Because when we experience him, nothing else needs to shrink. It just pales in comparison to him. He is bigger. He is better. He is stronger. He is more amazing and glorious than anything else that can possibly come across our life. When everything seems out of control, remember, rejoice, refocus, and repeat. We spend more time doing this than scrolling the internet for the latest update on the end of the world. We might sink for a moment. You might get some news, you know, like me. I didn't watch any of the, I don't watch the news, but you hear like, oh, there's going to be a mandatory mandate for people. And it's like, oh, I get a little anxiety. And then it's like, wait, hold on. God's still in control. God's still in charge. He never left the throne. He knows exactly what's happening. He is good. And it's that immediate attempt to refocus. Or I start to get a little anxiety about Killian and Kiara and what their life is going to look like in 20 years from now and when they're trying to get a job and all these different things and socialism and all this stuff. And it starts to crowd in on me. It's like, hold on. God is good. They will thrive because they will see him as their priority. That's my job. Not to change the culture we live in, not to try to alter the world that they will live in. My job is to teach them to focus their eyes on Jesus. Because then everything else, no matter what situation they find themselves in, they will thrive. See, if we, like Peter, because this is the beautiful thing about this story, Peter messes it up. It's one thing Peter was really good at, especially early in life, was messing stuff up. But he begins to walk with Jesus on the water. Nobody else can claim that, except for Jesus, that they walked on water. And he messes it up. And just notice Jesus' response. He's right there. See, all the things that you might be able to say negative about Peter, he knows what to do when he messes up. Help me, Jesus! And he sticks his hand out. And that's the beautiful part about the story, because if you mess this entire thing up, if you try to do my four-part process that still isn't perfect, but you try to do it anyhow, and you completely fail miserably, there's still the option, there's still that one little trump card that says, help me, Jesus! I messed it up again, I don't know what I'm doing. Peter used that method when he, everything else failed, when he couldn't think of the right Bible verse and, and he just couldn't do it and he was spinning his wheels in the mud and, and he was just in this dark place and nothing was working. Just help me, Jesus. And he reaches out to Jesus. And no, Jesus is always there. He doesn't condemn Peter. He doesn't hit him with a shame on you. He doesn't let him drown for a little bit and then like bring him back to life afterward. Probably what I would have done because he can do that. He's Jesus. He immediately reaches out and grabs his hand. And that's where some of you are right now. You're like, great, this sounds really good, Pastor, but it's not going to happen. I'm already so deep into my depression, so deep into my anxiety. I have so many panic attacks nobody even knows about. And Jesus, just reach your hand out. And I can't even teach you how to do that. I can't teach, there's no teaching that. It's just knowing that he's the only answer and reaching our hand out to him. So maybe that's where you are. That's what you need. But with our hand firmly in that of Jesus, 
whether it's in a healthy walk hand in hand or a we're completely sinking and about to die hand in hand, we will know more intimately what Paul meant in Romans chapter 8. Check this out. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is a powerful truth. And you might be in a place where enemy's saying, God doesn't love you anymore because you're so wicked and you're so messed up and you've you got so many issues. How could God possibly love you? You just need to read this verse over and over and over and over again. That's the remembering part. I remember what you said here. Nothing can separate me, not even myself. If the powers of hell, if the demons themselves can't separate you from the love of God, then you certainly don't have the power. Nothing can separate us from his love. Why is this so important? 1 John 4.18 tells us, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. When we experience His love, fear is gone. So you might be in that place where you say, great four-step process, sounds really good, it's not working for me. You just need to reach that hand out and say, help me, Jesus. And man, when he grabs your hand and he brings you in for that embrace, all the fear is gone. As we just rest in his love. If you need another worship song, might I recommend, the more I seek him. If you're in that place of desperation and you just need to reach his hand out, more I Seek Him by Carrie Job is my favorite version of that. But just this idea of being wrapped up by Jesus, just being in His arms, so powerful because perfect love casts out all fear. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You are so good. I thank you for this account of Peter walking on the water because there's so much reality here. There's so much realness to Peter's experience. Some of us, man, we've had great moments of faith and we'll jump out of the boat and we run across the water, but it doesn't take long. 
for the wind and the waves to catch us, for the wind and the waves to convince us we're inadequate and everything is out of control. Lord, I thank you that you're always right there. Even when we messed it all up, we just call out to you. You will grab our hand and you're right there with us. Lord, I pray for anybody in this place this morning or ever, anybody watching that's in that dark valley, that's in that place where they feel like they can't even see your face anymore, that there's just no light at the end of their tunnel. Lord, I pray you would give them the ability to simply reach out. Give them the humility to say, help me, Jesus. I don't have it today. Lord, I pray they would feel there's no shame in that. There's no condemnation there. As they're embraced by perfect love, they would realize the fear just dissipates. Lord, I pray that you would help us remember, help us rejoice, help us refocus, and encourage us to repeat that as often as we need to. Lord, I pray this week, as things might seem out of control, that we would have our eyes on you and do whatever it takes to be reminded you are God and you've got it all under control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.